Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 21. Now, you're going to need a Bible this morning, all right? So if you don't have one, uh, you'll see some of this on the screen, but you really need a book in front of you or your phone open to look at the text. There are Bibles in every pew rack, and uh, you can find those little black books. And so you pull one out, you're going to need it. Uh, to follow along. This is an elongated passage that we're going to look at verse by verse this morning. So make sure you got your Bible open to Revelation 21, and we'll find verse number 9, and we're going to walk through this text together today. So uh, thank you for coming, being here. Got your Bible open. Uh, thank you for being on the Warrington campus today. It was good to have Leah Taylor uh, down there leading and uh, grateful, uh, talking about vacations a few minutes ago here uh, in, in this building. Uh, we got uh, Jamie away today, and Leah was stepping in and helping us a little bit, and uh, so you want to give her a good hand down there on the uh, Warrington campus. Grateful to God for my good friend uh, who was there with us today and uh, helping us with worship. And glad that all of you are in this room as well as those of you on the Warrington campus today. Now, this will be the weirdest sermon I've ever preached. All right? It's just odd. Not anything wrong with it, I hope. Uh, but it's just different. I, I'm going to do this text and comment, text and comment, text and comment as we walk through this passage together, and then I'll give three life lessons at the end that I glean out of this text. Now, we've been looking, Revelation 21, preaching through Revelation 21, 22, looking at our eternal abode, where we are going when we die, if we're saved. Now, we know that the next thing's going to happen is the rapture is coming, that uh, the Lord will call the dead, and then those that are alive and remain up unto Him. Tribulation follows. The millennial reign uh, is there, and uh, we will then walk right into eternity after judgment uh, comes, for every man must stand before the judgment bar and give an account for that that he's done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And so you will give an account, I will give an account, and uh, those that are saved will be into this eternal abode. Those that are lost will be damned in hell, as we looked at last week in verse number 8. And then this morning, we begin in verse number 9. Now, Jesus said when He walked the earth in bodily form, and John recorded it in John 14 and verse number 2, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself where I am. You can be as well. You may also be there. And this morning, we are looking at that place. We begin in verse number 9, and we'll walk through to verse number 27 of this text where he gives us a glorious description of the holy city that we are going to, that place that we normally call heaven. Now, we know that uh, he's already seen in verse number 1, a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven, the first earth have passed away. Peter says that this old globe is going to be refined by fire. It's not going to be annihilated. It will remain, but it'll be redone. We'll have some earthly dwelling here. And then we find him telling us in verse number 9 these words. Look at it first of all, verses 9, 10, and 11. John says, Then one of the seven angels 
who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, and he said, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he, this angel, carried me in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now get the picture. The angel, one of these seven angels, you, you can read about these angels in Revelation 8 and Revelation 16, where they come with the trumpets, then they come with the seven bowls that speak of the seven plagues, and one of those seven that had the seven bowls full uh, came with the last plagues, and that angel said to John, come here. Now, mark this down. If an angel who has just dispensed the bowls of wrath looks at you and says, come here, you will get yourself to where that angel says, come. And John got up and said, I, I'm, I'm reporting for duty. And he said, he carried me up to a high mountain. And when he took me up to the mountain, he saw coming down this new city. Now, it doesn't tell us how far it came down. I believe that it's suspended, that it's like another planet. It's like another place. It's, it, it's that city that is there. You say, well, how was it suspended? Well, it's the same way as Job said that God said about the earth. He made the earth and put it there. He put the moon over here, put the stars there. He slung them into space, and he said, stay there. He positioned everything through this universe and any other solar system that's out there that we've never even seen or discovered. The majestic creation, and here comes this city. It, it is coming down. It's suspended. It is central to our eternity. You see, right now we see earth as central. We see the moon and the stars and everything surrounding us, and we see our globe going. Listen, when, when you get to the next place, earth is not central. Earth is on the peripheral. The holy city becomes headquarters, becomes the central place. It is there. It is a new heaven and a new earth, and, and it has come down, and we see it there, and it is it is brilliant. It has very, like a costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Most commentators believe that that speaks of a diamond. It may very well be, or it could be a stone we've never seen yet. Brilliant, precious, but as best our little minds can wrap around it, it's like the diamond city coming down. John is writing as fast as he can write. And then in verses 12 through 14, the description continues. And it had a great and high wall with 12 gates. 
and at the twelve gates twelve angels. The names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. All right, get the picture. The, the city is coming down. Here, here, here it comes. It's, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's, it's like a, a diamond a, a, as it comes. And then he says that in that was a great and high wall, speaking of the protection. It is a secure place. Listen to me, friend. Once you get to heaven, you're never kicked out. It's a secure place. You're there for eternity, forever, and you ought to prepare for that and get ready because there's no second chance to get in, but let me, there's no first chance to be kicked out. It is a secure place. This high wall is there. And then there are 12 gates. Therefore, on the east and four on the north, four on the south and four on the west. And by every one of these gates is an angel. Peter is not guarding the gate. All right? There's an angel stationed at the gate. And then he says that there were these gates all had a name. Every one of them named had the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Speak of the Old Testament faith, Abraham's faith, of Moses' faith. Speaking of Joseph and Jacob and all through the Old Testament, those that believe looking toward the promise, the gates are named after these 12 tribes of Israel. My friend, you'd be very careful what you do with Israel. Because Israel is going to be eternal. Matter of fact, her forefathers are written on the gates of glory. And he speaks here of that Old Testament saint. Then he says there are 12 foundation stones, and all of them have a name on them. And those stones are the 12 apostles. The disciples became the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The apostles were given apostolic authority, and they spoke to the church before we were given the Word of God, before we had the written Word. There was the spoken Word coming through an apostolic power and prophetic Word that was authority for the church. Now, the number one question everybody has when it says, okay, there's the 12 apostles, we know Judas is not there. Matthias took his place, but did Peter make a mistake? Was it really Paul? I think it was to be Paul. Others say, no, it will be. We don't know that for, for sure. But whoever that 12th apostle is to be added, uh, if you're part of this church, you believe it's Paul. <laughs> or you can be wrong if you want to. It's fine. But the Lord knows. And there are these 12 foundations. But the picture here is not what the names are. It's that the Old Testament looks forward to the cross. The New Testament, the apostles look back to the cross. 
And he brings the Old Testament faith, New Testament faith, and he unites them together in this beautiful city that is coming down, having these 12 gates and having these 12 foundation stones. Now the question for me is how are these stones laid out? Are they laid out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and layered on top of each other? Or are they placed around the city and one foundation stone under each gate? We're, we're not certain. He doesn't tell us. He just says there are 12 foundation stones, and he's going to begin to tell us about those as we jump into verse 15. Look at it with me right here. Then one, the one who spoke with me, this angel that's talking to John, he had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. So he gets out and he begins to measure. And the city is laid out as a square. And its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. So it's like a cube. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Now, 1,500 miles is like two-thirds of the American continent. It's like from West Texas to Jacksonville and from Jacksonville to the Canadian border and from the Canadian border over two-thirds of the way and down, that, the two-thirds, that's 1,500 miles square. Long. And then it's that high. And here comes that city that looks like a cube and it's coming down and it's got 12 foundation stones and it's got 12 gates and it's got a wall around it and it's crystal like a diamond and, and it's coming. Verse 17 says, and he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedon, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth Christophorus, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now you take these colors and you can look them up and see what they are, but they're greens and reds and diamonds and blues and purples. And there they are. They are the 12 foundation stones. For me, this last foundation stone is such a beautiful picture. The amethyst is purple. None of our Karis House girls are in this, are they? Hey, church, I want to begin to give every graduate of the Karis House a pendant of amethyst. Here's the reason for that. That word has got an alpha, an A on the front of it. And you know that negates whatever the word is. It's like moral, A on front of it, amoral means no morals. Put the alpha on the front of the moral. This word, the alpha, when you take it off, the rest of the word means drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, 
but be filled with the Spirit. That's the same word drunk, but it has an A, an alpha on the front of it. And the last foundation stone is not drunk, but sober. What a beautiful picture. It's what we pray for those girls. That they'd be amethyst. And I want to hang a, one of those around their necks. Say, preacher, how are you going to do that? You're going to pay for it. <laughs> say, how much do they cost? It's according to whether you get a real good one or not so good one. All right? It's according to how many graduates we have every year. I've been checking around. I've been praying, oh God, save a jeweler. <laughs> Amen. See the city. See that 1,500 miles long and deep and high and the foundations with the brilliant, the brilliant colors. Then you see, verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, now don't miss this. We talk about the pearly gates, and uh, we think of that all that. Well, each gate is made out of one pearl. How do you get a pearl? Well, an oyster or a mollusk of some kind, there comes an irritant within that, and it begins to secrete and wrap around, and, and before long, then that pearl is born out of pain for the mollusk or for the uh, oyster. Each gate is one pearl. Baby, that must have been some oyster, amen? Whole. <laughs> But when you walk in that gate of pearl, here's what you'll remember. Pain. The pain of Jesus opened the gate. The pearl is only there. Because Jesus bore the point of the spear within his side, the nails in his hand, and your sin in his soul. And out of his pain came our forgiveness. And each gate was made of a single pearl. And the street that I walked in on was pure gold, like transparent glass, gold that you could see through. One street going through this glorious city. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. When you go to Jerusalem, you're always looking up. Everybody that would come to that city would look up because the temple was high and lifted up. You'd go to most cities of the ancient You'd see the, the temple was, was high. And when John looked, he saw no temple. He's looking. He said, where is it? There was no temple. And the angel said to him, the Lord God and the Lamb, they are the temple. We come and fall on our feet, not in some house, but at the feet of the Lamb. 
the Lamb who is the temple. Verse 23 says, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Again, the light is from the Lamb. Can, can, can you get it? Look at it. Let your imagination run with you for just a moment. You're with John. You're on a high mountain. You look, you see the city. It's coming down 1,500 miles square and high. It's like a diamond. It's got all of these colors in the foundation stone. And now there is the most brilliant light ever known to man that is radiating through the gold and through the barrel and through the amethyst and through the sapphire, through the sardis. How do we get a rainbow in our world? The sun is refracted after it rains and it arches perfectly. You take that light and through the right position, all oh, friend, you ain't seen nothing yet. All oh, the brilliance of the holy city filled and splashed with the glory of through all of the creation that God puts in that city. Verse 23 says, There's no sun or moon to shine in it because the glory of God is illumined it. And the lamp is the lamb. He is the light. Spurgeon says about this text that the light, Jesus as the light, we see light brings joy. We see that light brings beauty and that light brings knowledge. All of that and more is Jesus. And then in verses 24 through 27, and the nations, verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there'll be no night there, its gates will never be closed. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No night there, the gates never closed in and out. You see, I believe in glory as I, I begin to see this, that this new city comes down. John is still on earth. He, he sees that city coming down, the brilliance of its gold and uh, the colors and the touch of heaven, that becomes the central place of all eternity. We'll come in and out of there. There'll be other places. There'll be galaxies to know about. Th this thing of floating on the cloud doing nothing in heaven, that's the dumbest thing you ever heard of in all your life. To whom much is given, much will be required. Those that are the least here will be the greatest there. Uh, there'll be such activity to do in this place, your mind cannot imagine the activity of heaven and the holy city, and you will go in it and come out of it, and its gates will never close. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter this place. So that's my introduction. Now let me extrapolate three life lessons out of this heavenly passage. First of all, is what I call the lesson of gold, the lesson of gold. 
Be very careful what you do with your gold. Go on family vacation. Spend some money to go on vacation. Take care of yourself. It's a great day when you get your house paid off. Amen. Yes, sir. Happened to me not long ago. Paying in, doing that. First of the month comes, you don't have to write that check. Amen. That's a good day. They told me 142 years ago, if I paid for 142 years, that I'd one day get it done. You can pay extra. It's a good thing, too. They take care of your children, pay for education. But now, watch this. Be careful that you do not worship gold here. You're going to a place, oh my soul, what a place. Jesus said it this way, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break in and they steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and the thieves can't break in, they can't get in. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, you need to invest in eternity. How do you do that? You invest in souls. You you invest in ministry. You mentor young men and women. You tell the coming generation. You teach in preschool. You give your tithe in the offering plate. You send kids to camp that can't pay their way. Dear friend, we're going to a place where you can't imagine the beauty, the gold, the precious stone. Lay up for treasure. Lay lay your treasures up over there. Don't die here wondering what are they going to do with it. Make sure that it counts for glory. J. Howard Williams was the fourth president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I read his story several days ago, and in Dr. J. Howard Williams' story, he said, when I was a nine-year-old boy living in Dallas, Texas, the circus came to town. It was 1903, and he said, all my buddies were going to the circus, and I wanted to go to the circus, and we told Daddy, let's go to the circus. And when Saturday came for the circus in Dallas, J. Howard Williams said, my father looked at us and said, boys, we're not going to go to the circus. We're going to pick cotton today. Dr. Williams said, I didn't like my daddy. He said, but father explained it to us. He said, boys, tomorrow is missions day at the church. And he said, we're going to take an extra day to work in the field to pick cotton. And everything we make on Saturday, we're going to invest in missions on Sunday. And J. Howard Williams said, I never forgot it. And he said, I challenge people all my life, don't let the circus of your culture 
get in the way of the fulfillment of the great commission in your time. I've been to the circus and I'm going again. I like the circus. But dear friend, if you just keep this world swirling around your wallet and have nothing for the kingdom, you've missed the golden lesson of heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures over there. Take care of things, but make sure the priority of your gold is Jesus. There's the lesson of gold. Second, I extrapolate from this text what I call the lesson of glory. Verse 11 said having the glory of God. Verse 23 says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. Verse 24 says the nations will walk by its lights and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Do not live for yourself and self-glory, but live for the glory of Jesus. He is the one who deserves your glory. Psalm 29, David said it this way in Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do it. Give glory to the name of God. That is what deserves your glory. See, everybody in this room, either right now, you're living for self-glorification or God-glorification. Give Him glory. Amen. We all say, well, it's not about us, but then we live like it is. Oh, the lesson of glory, that we reflect glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. You're going to a place where that'll be number one. We ought to practice here what we're going to do over there. The lesson of gold, the lesson of glory. And then finally, there is what I call the lesson of good news. Only those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life, only those are the people who will enter in. Dear friend, we must be in the good news business. Five times in the text that I read and walked through with you, we find this little word, Lamb, Lamb. We find the Lamb five times. We find him in verse 9 when he says, John said to him, come up here and I'll show you the wife of the Lamb. In verse 14, he says, I'm going to name these foundation stones, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 22, the Lamb is the temple. In verse 23, the Lamb is the light. And in verse 27, the Lamb has a book. This week, a family invited us to come and have dinner, bring Libya, our friend from India. This is an Indian couple that's in our church that came out of a 
Hindu background. And, uh, well, I'll never forget when Rajit got saved, he'd come to me and he'd say, Pastor Jesus is one of many. I bow down. I said, no, uh He'd go off. He kept coming to hear me preach. Finally, I saw him right down here one day. He, he came and he said, Preacher, Jesus, one and only. I said, you ready now? And he gave his heart and life under Christ, his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We sat in his home this week. Hmm. He told us his story about coming to America, and coming to Pensacola. But he said, my real story is when I came to Jesus. Books, I, I like books. I, I read a lot of books. I, I'm reading a brand new book right now called 2020 Hindsight. And, uh, very, very insightful with hindsight from a preacher. Uh, Lord, I love this book. I walked in Pete Will's Sunday school class today, and he was asking the questions. I walked in, how many of you read the Bible daily? I, I raised my hand. <laughs> I, I, I want to be counted. I, I got a book here in my pocket that I, I love this little book right here. Th this book was given to me on Christmas Day, 2015. In this little book, It says in the front, Ted, it's been my honor to pray for you every day this year. And they wrote what they prayed for me every day in this book. My wife gave that to me for Christmas in 2015. Oh, I love this little book. Sometimes I'm having a hard day, I'll turn to that day and just see what she prayed back there seven years ago. Hmm. I found a few things in here I didn't like too much. <laughs> but they needed to be prayed for. Amen. <laughs> I've never asked her about that. She wasn't talking to me anyway. She's talking about me. I love that little book. I love this book. But the Lamb's got a book. Is your name in it? Is your name in it? Friend, if you die without your name in that book, you're going to hell. I don't say that with, with any joy or glee. I, I'm, I'm trying to sound a, a warning bell in your life. Is your name in the book? The Lamb's got a book. He's keeping tabs. And there's all kind of theological argumentation about when it gets in there and how to. You can argue with that all you want to. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. What I want to know is do you know your name's in the book? You say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know, but I want to make sure. Then come running to him today. The Lamb will welcome you. If you're on that Warrington campus, I'm telling you, God would welcome you. If, if you're watching today online and you've never knelt to say, Oh, God, I, I, I want to know you. I want to go to heaven when I die. Then get on your knees and say, Lord, come into my life. Put my name in your book. Trust Him.
And if you call out to him, he'll save you today. He'll do for you what he did for Rajit that, that I went in his house Friday night. He'll forgive your sin. He'll make you brand new. You'll be his, and one day you'll walk in those gates. See, there's gates on every side. People are coming from the Far East. They're coming from the West. They're coming from the North, and bless God, some of us are coming from the South. There's gates. And from all over the world, people will come because the Lamb has died for the sin of the world. The leaders of nations will come, it says. Bring their glory and drop it at the feet of Jesus. Is your name in the book? Is heaven your home? I got a funeral tomorrow. John's got one Wednesday. We've preached more funerals. I'm preaching the funeral of a blind woman tomorrow. God gives me grace. I'm going to preach out of Revelation 22, verse 4, where it says, And they saw his face. First thing she saw was the face of Jesus. She said, Preacher, I want to see my aunts. And you, you'll get to all those, but I'm telling you, there's just really one face you want to see when you get there. You, you want to see the face of the Lamb of God. You'll have all eternity to visit with other people. They saw the face of the Lamb. Friend, you're either going to see the face of the Lamb or it's going to be so dark you can't see. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And I, John, saw a holy city, Jerusalem. The city of peace. It's really going to be a place of peace. Turmoil in this world. Let me tell you, Jesus brings peace. Not only in this world, but certainly in the one to come. Come run into him today. If you're here without Christ, I'm going to ask you to come. We're going to sing this song of appeal. I'm going to ask you to come. I ask you to come say yes to Jesus. If you're here, maybe you're saved. You've never been baptized. Then come. If you're here today and saved, never joined a church, then, then come. Link your life right here today. I met several walking in this morning. Pastor, we're visiting today. We're visiting today. Well, praise God. Glad you're here. If God's drawn you to our church, I, I pray you'll come. Put your heart in life right here today. We'll receive you into this family, into this family today. We'd love to have you come. Say yes, but the, oh, is your name in the book? It's in the Lamb's book, the book of life. If not, come running to him today and watch what he will do for you. You, you know this, the names that are in there. Oh, my, I, I think of people that have gotten saved. I know their names in there. I think, oh man, I wouldn't put their name in there. No way. I wouldn't have done it. It's not up to me. Thank God. You'd be glad your pastor's not in charge of the Lamb's book of life. Some of y'all wouldn't make it. But thank God the Lamb. The spotless Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. You come running to Him today and receive Him. We're on our feet all over this room.